We are back at it. Welcome back to another edition of the Pistols Firing Podcast. I'm Carson Cunningham, joined as always by Colby Powell. Colby, did you uh, stay up late last night and watch the Oklahoma State game in its entirety? Because my dad went to sleep, I believe, at halftime. Uh, absolutely not. My plan was to watch the first half. I pivoted prior to kickoff, and I decided, nope, I'm just going to watch the entire game in the morning. So uh, I was up at 7 this morning. I'm up at 7 every morning. So I got up, turned it on this morning, and I had it watched by about 9 o'clock this morning. So, uh, no, I, I was not doing the 9.15 kick time. <laughs> I understand they try to get all the games in the windows. I, I'm not doing it. Boy, it was a late one, and uh, I, for some reason, stayed up the entire time, watched it, and uh, couldn't get enough of just what a just what an embarrassment that game was in terms of evaluating where OSU goes from here. I even hopped on the Twitter Spaces. Uh, shout out to I believe it's Bryce Thompson's season season with the SZN yeah. with the Curse of Cowboys helmet. I'm sure some of y'all are aware of him. I thought him and his co-host, uh, whose name is not coming off the top of my head, but they were very well spoken and. They were answering questions. It's I, I'm not, I'm kind of new to the Twitter Spaces streets, so I didn't want to like you know I, I certainly didn't want to hijack their show, but I, I contributed for a few minutes and then said, you know what, it's late, I better get to bed. So that was my my viewing experience. And and my dad sent along. I, I tweeted out my dad's thoughts about why he's going to bed at halftime, and then he he fired off a few more in the morning about the third quarter and fourth quarter stats, but. Uh, not a lot of happy Oklahoma State fans. We'll get into the bowl game that was against Wisconsin. We'll get into the news of Trace Ford switching his orange for crimson and, and making a, a switch in the Bedlam rivalry. And just really where this program goes from here in terms of the football program under Mike Gundy and, and the administration. But first, let's hear from Chris's University Spirit, your one-stop cowboy shop. Be sure to shop at chrisuniversityspirit.com. We appreciate Chris's. They've been with us through thick and thin. This has been a roller coaster season. Uh, Colby, it's remarkable. I guess let's just start here. And I believe you were on the franchise earlier today, and I think you, you made somewhat of a reference to this. It's hard to imagine. I believe you used the Texas game as a reference, but I, I just go to the first half against TCU and just the domination we saw leading 24 to 7. Uh, Max Duggan had no answers. Sanders and company were dialing it up, and this team looked like a legitimate college football playoff team against a team that ultimately made the college football playoff in TCU fast forward to last night. And I'm struggling to find a team coached by Mike Gundy that would lose, that would lose to the team we saw last night. I think you could probably go back to his first season. I think that'd be a real dogfight, frankly. And I'm sure there's some other examples people could argue Colby, but, but it's a very short list, just how far this thing has fallen. Yeah, it is. It's really unbelievable. I mean, they haven't scored more than 20 points since the Texas game, and that's – Carson, they turned into Iowa. I mean, I mean I'm glad they were Iowa the second <laughs> half of the season, not the first half, because if you're Iowa the first half of the season, that's your reputation nationally for the year. It's what they turned into the second half of the season. I mean, the inability to run the ball is still there. Uh, seemingly an unwillingness to run the ball to an extent. I mean, Ollie had some success last night. He only had 12 rushes heading into the fourth quarter. Uh, they were asking Garrett Rangel to do a lot, and he's he's not ready for that. I I don't know if he's the for, future quarterback at Oklahoma State, uh, but I think it was pretty clear last night that he's not the present quarterback at Oklahoma State. He's not some sort of savior who's going to come in and win 10 games next year, so that position is very much up for grabs. Um, uh, you know, who, who was it? I think it was Jacob Unruh. I was listening, Unruh, I was listening to earlier today who said that he talked to John Paul Richardson out in Phoenix and asked him about the offense and Spencer Sanders and, and stuff like that and what they kind of learned since Spencer got hurt. And that John Paul told him, well, what we learned is that Spencer covered up a lot of our mistakes. He covered up a lot of things. And I think that's true. I think a healthy Spencer Sanders made this offense look really good. You take that guy out, man, all of a sudden you, you go a couple of months without getting more than 20 points on the board. Uh, that's tough to watch. This has been one of the best offenses in the country for a long time. This fan base, this team, this program, this university has gotten used to scoring a bunch of points. Even if you're winning 52-49, hey, everybody's having fun when you're winning 52-49. When you cannot move the ball and you've got nine punts in the first three quarters of a football game, you've got problems and people are going to start to get restless. And the fan base is certainly as restless as it's been in a while. Yeah, and to your point about Sanders covering up a lot of issues, I mean, oh, I tweeted so much last night, it's hard to find my tweet, but basically that should be the first line on any NIL negotiations for, for Spencer is 
like just how far this thing has fallen in terms of their points per game the first six, seven uh, games this season. And I just I, I sit there and I wonder, Colby, like if that's true, <laughs> like as bad as shaped as this offensive line is in, if that's true and it's it's Spencer literally making up for all of those things, then he might be one of the best college football players, not only in the country this year, but <laughs> for a long time. Because this team, as I mentioned, was literally playoff good. And I think that's going to be the first line of his negotiations, Colby, is like, look at what, what, what we did when I was healthy, averaging you know more than 40 points per game. And look at this team that failed once again to score 20 points. What is that now? Six games in a row for Oklahoma State to, score, to fail to score 20 points. I mean, it's just – it's hard to fathom. And, and this is where I struggle, Colby, too. I, I'm curious to get your thoughts. You know, everyone just – it's become such a talking point in terms of injuries. Well, they, they've had a lot of injuries. Uh, what about TCU losing their starting quarterback at week one and are now in the playoff? What about Kansas State, who just won the Big 12 with a backup quarterback? And where, Colby, are the absolute difference makers missing from this roster? Uh, Mason Cobb, you can you can certainly argue he's been one of the best players on the defense all year. Good player. I don't know if I would qu- quantify him as a true difference maker to where uh, and really, the defense has played well the last five, six games compared to the offense. But, Colby, where where is this excuse of injuries and how much weight do you give it? Because I think, to me, it's become such a talking point, and certainly they've had injuries. Like, I'm not just completely dismissing that. They're not the team they were in week one. But I, I look at the roster. I look at the box score. I look at who was available. Where are the where's the missing links here that that you can just say, ah, oh, you know what, their 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 in- injuries really killed them. Other than Spencer, I mean, Spencer goes without saying, but we're talking about the offense uh, offensive line that's mostly intact. We're talking about the defense with, other than Mason Cobb and Brendan Evers, mostly intact. Uh, Lacey was missing too, so I'm not saying they're the, the exact same team they were beginning of the year, but I'm getting really tired of the injury excuse. There's no excuse to look as bad as they did the last six games of the year. Yeah, I think injuries are a reason that things don't go perfectly. Uh, I don't think injuries can be explained. I don't think you can explain 48 to zero away with injuries. I don't think you can explain 37-16 and Lawrence away with injuries. The first quarter of that OU game, are we explaining these things away with injuries? I don't think we can. That that game against West Virginia, I mean, to me – you, you look at seasons, seven and six on its surface. It's like, okay, it's a down year, but maybe you bounce back. I think the reason everyone is so on edge right now and, you know, so down on Mike Gundy and this staff and uh, to a lesser extent, the roster, I think the staff's getting way more heat than the roster. And I think it should. Um, it's how it happened. It's four of those last five games in the regular season where your only win is this weird day against Iowa State where they turn the ball over, what, five times, and Spencer comes in to to save the day in the fourth quarter? I mean, other than that, your last five games, it's not that you lost, it's how you lost. And I don't think injuries explain how you lost. Um, Last night, 24-17 is the final. Game wasn't that close. It it just wasn't. I I know Oklahoma State tried to make a fourth quarter charge. Wisconsin was manhandling Oklahoma State for three quarters, and then you end up having an interception late to seal it, which, you know, kind of felt like it tied a bow on what that game was. But, Carson, I I think if you're out there and you lose to Kansas State on the road, let's call it 35-31, and then you go lose to Kansas 27-24, okay, injuries to a, a few guys here and there, yeah, that explains that. No, I don't think injuries explain what happened in Manhattan. I don't think they explain what happened in Lawrence. And I don't think that they explain what happened in Norman. I think that injuries were a problem this season, but I do not think that they excuse uh, this staff from what seems like some deserved heat for how the last six games of this season transpired. Yeah, they and let's just face facts. Like the OSU offensive line has been a disaster for nine years. I mean, seriously, like it's been it's been it's ranged from terrible to borderline mediocre. That's been kind of the range the offensive line has been. Now, they've had some standout individuals. Uh, Josh Sills most recently. Uh, Zach Crabtree was a good player. You can, you can name some, some good offensive linemen. But as a cohesive unit, they haven't blocked anybody dating back to when Mason Rudolph was the quarterback. I mean, Colby, it's, 
it's frankly amazing how many wins Mike Gundy has been able to accrue over the last decade with the level of offensive line play we've seen. And that's what you saw against Wisconsin. I mean, that's why Ollie Gordon only gets, what was it, 12 carries in the entire game, even though this was a, a real instance in which there's no downside to just feed Ollie Gordon the rock and see what you have. I mean, this is the opportunity to see what he's got. And he carries it 12 times in a bowl game. And the reason why is because they can't block anybody. And until they get that fixed, Colby, it doesn't matter who the quarterback's going to be moving forward. Now that Spencer's in the transfer portal. Like, if it's Rangel, okay. If it's Armstrong from Virginia, and we'll get to the quarterback situation, what they, we think they should do. But, Colby, it's, it's high time that Mike Gundy totally revamps what he's doing in terms of offensive line schemes and in terms of nailing the, head co- nailing the offensive line coaching position as well. He has failed to nail that hiring since Joe Wickline has left. I believe there's been four since Joe Wickline. And we had high hopes for Charlie Dickey, but it's not working out. They're, they're getting worse, not better. And sure, they've had injuries. But when they haven't had injuries, like Bedlam, I know Mike Gundy tried to make Queso uh, Brooks, who didn't start a lot of the games this year, into the missing link and that he was acting like he was the, an all-pro you know, future first-round draft pick. That's not true. So, Colby, that's... To me, before you get into like the quarterback situation and what they're doing on defense with, with Derek Mason, like it's almost a moot point if you literally can't run the football or block people. Yeah, going into last night's game, I, uh, I went on with Sam Humphreys yesterday on the animal and he asked me if I thought that Oklahoma State was going to win the game. And I told him, no, I, I didn't think that Oklahoma State could match up up front with Wisconsin. Um, and I was right. I mean, they ran the ball for 258 yards. Oklahoma State ran it for 52. That's the game. That is the game. Take everything else out. The turnovers, the penalties, the turf, all of it. They play that game on a better surface. It's probably a similar result because guess what? Wisconsin can line you up. They can punch you in the mouth and they can get the ball in the end zone. How about the fourth and goal uh, where Oklahoma State ends up, you know, Rangel shovels it forward to Ollie Gordon in the end zone. (laughs) The reason that you ended up with that highlight is because you can't get the ball in from the one yard line. Wisconsin had just had a possession not too long before that, where they got down, they had a receiver tackled on an end around, I think at the one yard line and Wisconsin lined up at the one yard line and Carson, I knew it. You knew it. Everybody else watching knew it. They knew, I knew you knew Wisconsin was going to line up their offensive linemen. were going to push Oklahoma state back into the end zone and Braylon Allen was going to walk in. And that's exactly what happened because they were big and physical on the offensive line. And does the big 10 stink? Yeah, but they get offensive lines and they pushed Oklahoma state around last night. Um, that Wisconsin team. I mean, that's, that's not a very good Wisconsin team. And that's with a backup quarterback. And they physically pushed Oklahoma state around. Um, I think that both lines, the trenches, I mean, it's, it's gotta be better. It's gotta be better. That falls on Mike Gundy to get those hires, right? Better in recruiting, better in the portal. Uh, hopefully the Cooper kid coming in from Texas state next year can play and is legit, but man, they lost a bunch of offensive linemen in the portal too. It's, I don't think it's a quick fix up front, but also Carson, I feel like they've done such a poor job of coaching around the bad offensive line, man. It's just, I I just feel like they're beating their head into the wall. The third and goal play that preceded the underhand flip to Ollie Gordon. It's like Wisconsin's got 11 guys in the box. They ran right into it. You knew they weren't getting in. It's just, it's not working. Um, It's a poor offensive line. They've done a poor job coaching around it and scheming around it. And it results in what you saw down the stretch this season when the guy who was covering that all up goes out with injury. Uh, so, yeah, it's it's a big concern for me. That's my number one concern moving forward for Oklahoma State football is that they finally get an offensive line that can – I mean, at this point, I don't even want to say push people around. I will settle for be serviceable. A serviceable offensive line sounds amazing right now, Carson. I mean, serviceable, man, just not a complete sieve would, would suffice. Now, I do think they – Pass blocked okay. I thought Rangel kind of looked like a – now, the, the field was an, a total embarrassment. I mean, everybody looked like baby deers trying to walk on ice out there. I mean, that field was a total not – only, not only a total joke, but a total, like, hazard to the player's health. I mean, how many times did Rangel just straight up just fall down, <laughs> just trying to stand up? And I, I'm not – again, I'm not blaming him, but the pass blocking I thought was okay. He just – he gets – 
pure panic. And he's a true freshman. I get it. But when he would drop back to pass, it was pure panic time. And I thought the pass blocking was okay. They just simply cannot run the football. And let's go to the the team stats. I, I do want to talk about what you saw from some young players. A lot of guys got some opportunities here, but Colby, my goodness. How about 281 total yards for Oklahoma State? Less than 300 yards in a game. It, it, it's really hard to be that bad on offense. It, it looked like they didn't even practice. And I think that's the problem, what you were talking about earlier about. It's not, it's the way they've lost these games, right? And so, look, I thought the offensive line was about what we all expected. But, man, Stephon Johnson, he gets one catch, 84 yards, takes to the house. I'm ready to make all my big, slow, big 10 jokes. I got one in there, and OSU nearly gave up the ensuing kickoff for a touchdown, which wouldn't have been fun. But Stephon Johnson gets one catch the rest of the game. Uh, who else Who else really stood out to you? I know Ollie Gordon didn't do much in limited action, but I know there's a couple guys that did stick out to you, perhaps on the defensive side. Uh, yeah, Trey Rucker makes a big play early, and I think that uh, his teammates have spoken highly of him on social media. And then Lyric Rawls also comes in, makes a big stop, and then the third and two late in the game when Oklahoma State's trying to make the comeback, skies up, volleyball spikes, uh, what's coming in there. I, I would say I'm maybe a little less worried than I thought I would be about the linebacker position and about the secondary after some of those guys hopped in the portal. But Oklahoma State had success in the portal at those positions, and it looks like there are some young guys who are going to be able to come up at those positions, secondary linebackers. Uh, I'm worried about the defensive front. I'm worried about, you know, what that looks like moving forward and certainly about the offensive line. But I don't think I'm quite as worried about the linebackers or the secondary as I thought I would be. This team, look, I, I know that it feels doom and gloom right now because this was simply just one of the worst innings to a season that we've seen in a long, long time at Oklahoma State. But this team has some pieces that are pretty good. I mean, Stephon Johnson, that guy's a playmaker. You've got to find a way to get the ball into his hands. And when I mentioned earlier, you know, struggling to, to coach around the deficiencies, Stephon Johnson had one touch last night. He had one touch last night, Carson. How does that happen? He took it 84 yards to the house, caught it behind the scrim line of scrimmage, took it 84 yards to the house. It's his only touch. How does that happen? This team has some playmakers, I think, on both sides of the ball. I would love to see Jason Taylor come back, but I will totally understand if he declares. This team has some playmakers on both sides, but it, it's the glaring weaknesses at positions and units of importance that are tearing it all down right now. That's the, the offensive line, uh, the defensive line, the inability to stop the run, and the quarterback position without Spencer. Those are really the three concerns right now. Everywhere else, I kind of feel good. I feel good at running back. I feel good at receiver. I feel okay at, at linebacker and in the secondary. But if you don't fix those other things, then the guys at those positions won't be able to shine. So uh, fix the other things. And I, I really do think that this team is talented in those areas I just mentioned. Oh, yeah. And I I, I honestly, I'm, I'm kind of optimistic about the defense. And I think some people may be like, what? What are, you, what are you talking about? When you look at the overall numbers that they had this year, I believe they're like 95th in the country in scoring defense. But I'm meaning in terms of the way the season played out. I thought Col Cody Nagel from 247 put out some great numbers here. And it kind of shows you just the cliff the offense fell off of and the progress the defense made. Uh, how about OSU points per game allowed from September through October? It was 31.1. From November through December, it was 25.4. That's doable. OSU points per game scored September September through October, 39.1. November through December, 17.0. And so the and, and that's really crazy to think about the defensive numbers, Colby, considering they got no help, zero help, zero sustained drives for the most part from the offense, and still decreased their points per game allowed by nearly six full points on average. And they went from averaging 39 points scored to 17. Like that. And their record went went from six and two to one and four over those two th th those those month periods there, and so that that to me one gives me a lot of optimism. If Derek Mason should return again, his contract is expiring. Uh, that's another thing that I guess we're not just not allowed to ask Mike Gundy about if, in his in his world. But I, I'm pretty confident that the defense will, will be okay. Now I'm concerned about the defensive line talent, uh, you know, recruiting class wise, and just guys they're losing. But other than that, I'm pretty optimistic about the defense, Colby. But, but the offense, Mike Gundy 
knows he has to make changes. He knows it. I think that's partly why he got so defensive. We can get into that now. But I, I, before you, we do, Colby, just where are you at with the defense versus the offense heading into next year? Uh, yeah, I'm kind of with you. More confidence in the defense, certainly. Those numbers, man, number one, the offensive numbers make my head hurt. 39 to 17 uh, in points per game. That's an absolutely incredible drop-off to, to be losing more than three touchdowns per game in the same season. There were a few injuries. It wasn't all 11 starters. That is absolutely mind-boggling. Uh, but, yes, I do think that the defense improved quite a bit. I, I really think uh, the turning point was after the Kansas game. You know, the defense uh, gives up 31 to Tech. You give up 40 to TCU, a couple overtimes. I actually don't think the defense was bad in that game uh, until the fourth quarter. They gave up those couple of drives. 34 to Texas. 48 to Kansas State, 37 to Kansas. Last four games, including the bowl game last night, defense was fine. Defense was pretty good. Five turnovers in Iowa State, you get the win. Uh, Oklahoma, they did a just a miraculous job to hold OU to 28 points in that game, considering some of the situations that they were put in. West Virginia, they did enough, held them to 24. Uh, I, I'm optimistic about the defense. Couple of key losses, but I do think that there are some guys waiting. Uh, Rucker, Rawls, Cam Smith, I, I thought had some good plays last night out at corner. So we'll see what he looks like headed into next season. Uh, yes, if I were to rank my confidence scale, scale in the offense and the defense headed into next season, uh, my confidence level in the offense would be about a one, and my confidence level in the defense would be about a, a six or seven, probably. So much more confident on the defensive side. Yeah, and that's that's kind of where I'm at too. And and let's just get into it, Colby. After the game, obviously everyone's still today talking about Mike Gundy's post game press conference. Our very own Marshall Scott from Pistols Firing asked a legitimate question about you know with the way the transfer portal works now, universities are making staff changes and coaches are making staff changes earlier than ever before. That's kind of how he phrased it, and he asked Mike, or you know, about that exact scenario about staff changes, considering the way this season ended. And by now, if you're listening to this, you, you know what was said. Uh, Mike Gundy lost his cool, uh, told Marshall to not be a, quote, ass. And uh, it's an unfortunate situation because, you know, Marshall is a legit good dude. He's a legit journalist. And that's that's why those people are there asking Mike Gundy questions. And I think for some reason, the Oklahoma State beat, and maybe it's just because it's Oklahoma State, it's not Oklahoma. I've covered both. It's it's full of a lot of legit journalists, but Mike Gundy rarely gets grilled. Rarely. Uh, Barry Trammell is one of the few that is willing to ask a tough question. And so I was proud of Marshall. Like that, that question 1000% has to be asked, has to. And if you're sitting there arguing about, you know, is that the time? Is that the place? It's the only time. It's the only place. Because we don't know when Mike Gundy's going to speak again. A lot of times he speaks after the bowl game, and you don't hear from him until spring, the spring game. Think about how long away that is, and think about the pertinent questions that need answered. And and I think a lot of fans that that come after media in situations like this, they almost view it like as in the media member just wants to ask it just to get a rise out of Mike or just has his own personal vendetta or just wants to just ask it for his own behalf. No, the, the media's job is to be a conduit to the fans to ask the questions they want answered. And how many fans Colby right now are asking, is Mike going to make changes to his offensive staff? They had to sit through six games of complete ineptitude. And for Mike to react the way he did, I thought it was unprofessional I'll get, into, I'll get into an example involving Bob Stoops later, but I want to get your take on, on what occurred after the game. Yeah, I think unprofessional is a good word. I, I don't know. I, I would hope that Mike Gundy regrets the way that he reacted. Uh, you, you certainly want to extend human beings grace to, to be upset and to fly off the handle. Now, I, I do think that that's easier to do when there's accountability. Mike Gundy historically has not enjoyed answering tough questions. It's the losing seasons. Typically it's the six and seven win seasons when Mike Gundy starts to get testy and he starts to kind of talk down to people. Um, and you know, it was, it was an unfortunate scene because um, that's really been a huge distraction today from, from what took place on the field last night and from what this program has to handle this off season. 
Marshall's there. Marshall's doing his job. This program, it is one of the most uh, restricted programs in the country in terms of media access. Mike Gundy doesn't want people nosing around his program. Uh, we don't know when the next media availability is going to be. And to your point, Carson, I know a lot of OSU people, a lot. And you know what the number one question I have gotten asked over the last month since that West Virginia game ended? Number one, top of the list, nothing else even comes close. What are they going to do on the offensive staff? That is the question I'm getting asked by every single OSU fan. I know some that I don't know, just hopping in my DMs on Twitter. What's happening with the offensive staff? Are they going to be making changes? It's the question and it is the only time it can be asked Marshall doesn't get to sit down with Mike Gundy for a one-on-one next week that's not how this works it's the only time it can be asked he asked it I think Gundy reacted very poorly uh I I really do hope that Mike Gundy will listen back to that and think you know what I I snapped a little bit I I should I should apologize to Marshall whether publicly or privately I, I snapped a little bit I really hope that he's better in the future because Man, when things start going poorly, you're the head coach. You, you've got to sit up there. You've got to answer the questions. And honestly, the, the biggest deal for me, Carson, is that was an easy one. That's such an easy one. All you say is, you know, we're going to do everything we can to make sure we're where we need to be, uh, but I'm not going to get into any staff discussions. That's all you have to say. And even if you're irked by the question and you don't think it's appropriate, you can say, you know, I, I don't think this is the appropriate time to discuss that, so I'm just going to leave that be. There are so many ways that you can answer that other than how Mike Gundy did. Uh, and he carried on, and and he used his power and his weight with the threat of revoking access uh, in the middle of a press conference. And, you know, again, just unprofessional is the word I would I would use. I was disappointed to see that. Obviously, I didn't see it last night. I, I didn't see it in real time with everyone else. I didn't see it until after I watched the game this morning because uh, I didn't get on any social media until I had watched the game. So I was very disappointed to see that clip and, and know that that was going to be the talking point today. So, um, yeah, I mean, when things go poorly and you're the head coach, you have to answer questions. Sometimes they're not fun questions to answer but that certainly was not an appropriate response. Well, and Mike's paid $8 million to answer those questions. He, he can answer a tough question every now and then. And I think there's another popular sentiment for those defending what happened. And look, just like Marshall has a right to ask a question, Mike, Mike has the right to answer it however he wants. Um, I, can, I can give my opinion on this podcast and say I disagree with it, but he has the right to answer it how he wants, and he'll have to, he'll have to stand on that. But there's a popular sentiment that, you know, like, well, what's he supposed to say? Well, Colby, I thought you hinted at it. I thought that was a good reply by you. You just say, look, I am not happy with the way this season ended. We have got to figure some things out offensively. I'm going to evaluate all options in the offseason and call it that. Like, uh, that, that's that's where I go with it. And I, you know, I mentioned, you know, I for, for some, maybe, maybe you guys are new. I don't know. I, I covered Oklahoma and Oklahoma State in my TV career. And my thoughts immediately went to, the OU Clemson bowl game in Orlando in 2014. Back then it was the Russell Athletic Bowl. I was there. OU gets absolutely embarrassed by Clemson, 40 to six. This has really not happened under Bob Stoops. And everyone in the media contingent was basically talking amongst ourselves about like, Bob's got to own this. Uh, he, he, know, he knows there's some tough questions about the direction of his program coming. So I, I tried to find a transcript. So you know what I did? I just go to the YouTube. I found it on YouTube. And Bob was asked one, two, three, four questions, seemingly in the same vein that Marshall asked. Uh, I, I tweeted this out if you want to go watch it. It's pretty, it's pretty interesting to see the dichotomy between the professionalism that Bob showed in this versus Mike. Uh, 4.30 mark, Barry Trammell asked about what changes he can make with, to prevent you know, an embarrassing performance like they had. Five-minute mark, Bob Bray Jr., uh, rest in peace, my mentor from Channel 4, a jovial, lovable guy, but respected his duty as a journalist to the nth degree. And he was not afraid to ask tough questions. He asked three in this press conference. The first one, he just straight up asked about replacing assistant coaches. The second one, he asked Bob about the lack of titles since 2010. And his, and, uh, sorry, the third question he, Bob Berry Jr. asked him was, he, he, he straight up asked Bob Stoops if he's the man moving forward to be the head coach at Oklahoma. This is Bob Stoops. <laughs> who's won a national championship. This is Mike Gundy, who's won one Big 12 championship. That's what it's like 
for a big time college football coach who has a who has a horrible season the way and as an OU team that won eight games compared to the, the amount of wins that OSU had this year. But that's and Bob answered these, you know, tersely, but respectfully because he's a pro. He knows he has to answer it professionally. He knows that's why he's paid the big bucks. And deep down, he knows he had to make some changes on his offensive staff. He ends up firing Josh Heupel, hires Lincoln Riley. You know the rest. I think Colby, that's why Mike got so defensive, is he knows he's going to have to make some hard decisions. And I'm sure that's tough on him. I'm sure that's hard on those families that he's referencing. I just, my mind went straight to that press conference knowing tough questions were coming. And for some reason, it's not a big deal when those are asked at Oklahoma. Brent Venables was asked today if he's considering making staff changes. And he said, I haven't, I haven't decided yet. Just juxtapose those two things. Who, who's used to running a big-time football program and, and running it when it's going well and when it's not going well? And I don't know. I just, I, I'm curious your, your reaction to that because that's where my mind went after. Yeah, you know, that's interesting. I saw your stuff that you put out on Twitter. I did go back in and watch it just to kind of see how the questions were phrased, how Bob responded. Uh, the, the reality is, Carson, it's going to be 2023 this weekend. Last night in Phoenix was not the first time a head coach has ever been asked about his staff after a poor season. It certainly won't be the last. Uh, it struck a chord with Mike Gundy. I, I don't know if it's because he has some decisions to make that he's dreading making. I, I don't know what the reason really is. I don't know if he just doesn't like tough questions. Um, it, it was just, man, it was a tough scene. It, it's not the first time that those questions have been asked of a head coach. It certainly won't be the last. I was, I was really Shocked to watch it. I only watched it once. Uh, it made me very uncomfortable just knowing Marshall, uh, knowing how good of a guy Marshall is and, and how much that could impact him if Mike Gundy does decide to pull access. I only watched it once because it did make me uncomfortable. Um, yeah, it was just – I think it was a tough deal for Mike Gundy, and I hope he looks back on it and reflects because there are about a million better ways that I think that he could have handled it. Yeah, and let's face it, um, no one's really talking about the, the – where this program's going right now. They're talking about him in a press conference setting. Maybe that was by design. Maybe not. Uh, I think more than anything, I think, I think it kind of hit close to home because I think Mike's going to make changes. Uh, I think that's happening. Uh, timing, who knows? And those are, and look, that that's tough, but let's, let's not pretend this isn't, this isn't big business. This is big boy, big boy football, big boy business. He's paid $8 million to win football games, not to um, fail to score 20 points as many times as they did in the season. So uh, where, where does OSU go from here, Colby? You know, we, I touched on the quarterback situation. We still don't know where Spencer Sanders is going to end up. Saw an absolutely hilarious tweet that I retweeted from uh, Garrett O'Ryan. <laughs> Me and the boys outside of Spencer's house singing uh, to, to come back and that they're in love with him, you know. Uh, I don't think Spencer's coming back. I think he's waiting for the best NIL deal. But, you know, you posed the question to me last week, and I, I regret my answer now that you kind of talked me into kind of Garrett Rangel being – capable of being the starting quarterback next year. And, and look, this is largely unfair to a true freshman playing behind, you know, really a broken offense, a broken offensive line, a broken schemes, all of that. But I don't think you can just run it back next year with the same quarterback room, Colby. I think you have to go get a, a transfer quarterback. Maybe that's the, the Armstrong kid from Virginia or um, who's that older quarterback that just hit the portal. He's like 30. He's older. He's like, Six years older than Brandon Whedon was when he came to Stillwater. His name escapes me, but I missed the thirty-year-old hopping in the portal. Yeah, there's uh, there's a portal quarterback. I uh, can't remember his name, but what, what's your take on the quarterback situation? I'll find it as as you go. Uh, yeah, no, I, I think that I said last week. Here you go, twenty-nine-year-old North Texas, Austin Oon, twenty-nine-year-old, yeah, twenty-nine. Uh, uh, former SEC, it says here, and he was in North Texas, so we'll see where he winds up. But uh, yeah, Carson, I said. Last week, uh, I think it was last week, that I would rather just see how the young guys develop than go out and get Armstrong and see what he looks like as a stopgap. I I don't know, man. I, I don't know. After watching last night, I think I kind of like the idea of a stopgap who can come in next year, can win you eight games, and you, you can give Rangel another year to develop. You can see what Flores looks like. You can have those guys compete to be the backup. Obviously, whoever wins that job, likely the starter the following season. I don't feel confident running Garrett Rangel out there and hoping that he can go win you football games. Uh, it'd be a big ask of Zane Flores as a true freshman. I would at this point love to see a veteran 
quarterback. Now I, I want a quarterback to come in who has just one year of eligibility left. I don't want to go out and get somebody with three years of eligibility left because then you're telling Garrett Rangel and Zane Flores, Hey, you might not play here. I want Garrett Rangel and Zane Flores to have their chances uh, because they both could be that next guy that you're looking for. You know, you always have the down periods. You had it after Whedon as they look for the next guy. You had it after Rudolph as they look for the next guy, even back to Zach Robinson. And now after Spencer, you're going to have it as you look for the next guy. So a veteran quarterback with one year of eligibility left who could let Flores and Rangel both settle in. Uh, Rangel a little bit more and, and Flores as a true freshman. I think that that sounds pretty nice right about now. Yeah, I I think that's the direction they absolutely have to go. I don't think I don't think Flores or Rangel are ready to be the starting quarterback next year. Uh, I think Flores, whom I like a lot, it's just and look, freshmen can play, but I think <laughs> I think watching Rangel, who again he flashed a lot in high school and showed some really good stuff. It's just it's a different game. It's a different speed. It's a different entirely different sport almost going from high school to college. I think we saw that with, with Rangel. And I think that's the number one question moving forward besides the coaching staff is what's the quarterback room look like next year. And um, that's just today's football with the transfer portal. So we'll have to wait and see on that. Um, anything else from the game? Do you want to move to uh, big picture stuff? Uh, yeah, not a ton, ton else from the game. Again, the turf was just so, so bad. I, I don't know how a collegiate football game at that level gets played on that field. It's, it shouldn't happen again. You could see the sod seams. Some of the guys were saying there was an inch between some of the different sod. Guys couldn't get their footing, slipping and sliding all over the place. It's a miracle that you, you didn't have 10 guys drop with ACLs as they were trying to make cuts last night. Uh, that was a really tough surface. So hopefully whatever happened last night to get that surface how it was doesn't happen again. Yeah, that, that's worthy of a BB, which we'll get to. Before we do get to bullets and BBs, uh, big news today, Trace Ford just a few hours ago announcing he is transferring to the University of Oklahoma. First player we've ever seen play for both Oklahoma State and Oklahoma. Uh, I'm curious to get your thoughts, Colby, mine. Good for him. If, it, if, if this was a money situation, and I, I got to think it would be, I don't know why he would leave his teammates uh, on defense to go play at the arch rival if, if money had nothing to do with it. And if that's the case, good on you, man. He's he's a guy whose career is in jeopardy with the, the amount of injuries he's had. And I will never begrudge someone from doing what's best for them financially. This is, this is America. I, I have nothing against that. Uh, I don't know if he's fully grasped the level of vitriol that is going to come his way. Right or wrong, that will happen. And so I'm, I'm sure he's doing what's best for him and, and his family, and I respect that. I just – I don't know, Colby, if he's quite understanding the level of vitriol that, that's about to occur. And, and look, he, he's the first one to do it, but – and there's always, there always has to be a first, Colby, but – and maybe he won't be the last. But um, this is going to be very ugly for him in terms of the OSU fan base. Uh, some of it will be above board. Some of it will not, unfortunately. But uh, that, that that's coming. And uh, I thought it was a very surprising move because I kind of thought he would avoid that entire situation and just go to USC with, with Mason Cobb. Yeah, I did too. Obviously, he decided that this was the best place for him. I, I have to assume that as he makes this decision, he knows what this means for um, the, the way he's going to be viewed by the Oklahoma State fan base. Now, again, you hope it stays above board. I saw somebody on a message board earlier saying, go for the knees. No, we don't need any of that. We don't need anybody talking about go for the knees. That's ridiculous. That's nonsense. But I also think it's totally reasonable for a fan base to say, okay, you transferred to the rival. That is, that is who you are. You're the guy who transferred to the rival. I, I don't think that Trace Ford is going to be remembered in Oklahoma State lore for what he did as a freshman and, and all the great plays and the moments. I think he's going to be remembered as the guy who flipped and went to OU. Uh, but I think he would have known that when he decided to go to OU. This is not going to be a situation that Oklahoma State fans are going to say, you know, we wish you well. This is going to be a bitter situation. Um, again, hopefully it stays above board. I think there's a big difference between sports hate and personal hate. My understanding is that Trace Ford is an excellent young man. He's polite to everyone he meets. He's kind. He has a good heart. And he's just – he's a good young man. Um, so I, I hope that it stays to sports hate and it doesn't trickle over into personal hate. But you went to the rival. That, that's part of it. Um, this is big-time college football. I, I think the fact that he's from Oklahoma, he knows what Bedlam means. He knows the way 
that our fan base feels about that fan base and, and that program. Um, yeah, I, I was really surprised that he went down there. I, I certainly don't wish him any ill will, but I certainly will not be rooting for him. I mean, he's putting on crimson cream. I root against Oklahoma every time they take the field. He's now a part of that. So, uh, no, I'm no longer a Trace Ford fan. That that doesn't mean I wish him uh, injury, anything bad happening or anything like that. But, yeah, my, my fandom for Trace Ford, uh, it went away the moment that he committed to Oklahoma. I think a lot of people feel the same way. Just keep it above board. You don't have to root for the guy. You don't have to wish injury on him. Uh, there's a middle ground where you can just say, okay, you're, you're a Sooner now. That's who you are. That's who you are. You are a Sooner. Uh, that was his decision, and he made it. Hopefully he is prepared for whatever that means as far as public perception and reputation and those kinds of things. Isn't it wild where we're at now in college football that this is happening? That like, did you ever dream of a, of a player <laughs> playing at Oklahoma state and Oklahoma uh, in any sport, let alone football? I mean, just, just think about that, Colby. It, we're already kind of normalized to it with guys transferring interconference, like, you know, Don Richardson and, and people like that. But this is like another level, isn't it? No, it absolutely is. It's it's way different. I mean, Dominic Richardson <laughs> to Baylor. It's like, okay, Dominic Richardson transferred to Baylor. I wonder what he fits like in the run scheme. If Dominic Richardson would have transferred to OU, the reaction would have been different. I mean, if, if, if Spencer were to commit to OU, the reaction would be different. Trace committed to OU, the reaction is going to be different. Uh, again, some people will take it too far, but just normal, I uh, hope you go 0-12, stuff like that. You know, I hope they do go 0-12. I, I, I don't want... I don't want Trace Ford to be first team all big 12 next year. If Trace Ford's first team all big 12 next year, that means some things went really right for the OU defense. I don't want things to go right for the OU defense. I want to watch that program lose every time they step on the field. Um, so yeah, it's just, it's different when you transfer to the rival because when Baylor is playing against Kansas state, I don't care who wins when OU's playing against Kansas state, EMA, you know, so it's, it's very different. Yeah. And I, I, I certainly think that, Trace's situation is super unique given his injury history. Like, I'd be pretty devastated considering the age of Braylon Presley uh, and his health status compared to Trace Ford, uh, the amount of eligibility he has left, and what I think he will become going to Oklahoma than I do a Trace Ford. And I think the money situation for him is, is super important because I think he's, I, I really do think he's about one injury away from, from really having to consider his future playing the sport. So it's, and again, I, who am I to criticize a college kid who's potentially making some NIL money that, you know, look, Oklahoma has been trying to step up their NIL game. They've missed out on some players uh, and who knows what he got out of this. Well, we, we may never know, but um, what you can wish him well, but you don't have to pull for him. I, I think that's very well said by you. Uh, you ready for bullets and BBs? Real, real quick, I'll say one last thing on Trace Ford. You know, you talked about him being injury prone. I just want to tell any Oklahoma State fan out there who might be upset like this. If Trace Ford does suffer an injury next season, which I hope none of us are wishing on him, don't press send. If you need to type out a tweet, type it out. Don't press send. It's never okay to wish injuries on players. It's never okay to celebrate injuries. That's that's not okay no matter where he went. Just wanted to, to clear that up. Yeah, it's sad that that has to be said, but it does. <laughs> I think you're right. That's just that's just kind of the world we live in, too. Now I sound like Mike Gundy. That's the kind of society we live in, you know, social media, people people typing before thinking, you know. So uh, let's get to Bullets and BBs. Colby, what do you got for me this week? Bullets. Bullets go to the young guys on the defense making plays last night. Mentioned them earlier, Trey Rucker, uh, Cam Smith, Number three ranked golfer in the world. Shout out Cam Smith playing corner for Oklahoma State. Uh, Lyric Rawls, those guys did some good things. I'm excited to see what the young guys on the defense will look like. Uh, obviously, Stephon Johnson, Ollie Gordon, the guys on the offense are exciting. But those guys are, are guys we knew about in the regular season. I was watching that game this morning thinking to me, okay, who's going to pop? Who's going to make a play? Who's going to be in the right place at the right time and make me think, okay, that's a name to watch for. Uh, last year, it was Jabbar Muhammad. Who, who did that this year? Cam Smith, Trey Rucker, Lyric Rawls, those guys. I'll be keeping an eye on them throughout the offseason and heading into next fall because hopefully some of these young players who have been waiting in the wings with the Oklahoma State defense will be ready to go next year because uh, if the final six games of this season were any indication, the defense is going to need to be pretty good in 2023. Yeah, yes, it does. I'm going with my bullet for Boogie. Stephon Johnson, Boogie Johnson. Uh, one catch, 84 yards. House call, uh, for, at least for that one fleeting moment, Colby. 
I got out some of my Big Ten stinks takes. And again, I had some people coming after me for my Big Ten stinks. That game doesn't count. Is Oklahoma State could, could struggle with Bixby in their current status. I'm resting my hopes on the Big Ten stinks thing on TCU versus Michigan. But back to Stephon Johnson. Uh, he, he has proven that he is the future of this wide receiver room, along with you know John Paul Richardson, Brennan Presley. Uh, the, Casey Dunn's done a lot of things wrong as the offensive coordinator, but he continues to build an outstanding stable of wide receivers. That's why I don't think he will be let go off the staff. Whether, the, whether he keeps the play calling duties or another matter, uh, I'm hearing he, he might still keep those. But regardless, he has proven that he can year in, year out, build one of the best wide receiver rooms in the entire country. Add Stephon Johnson to that list. Again, just one catch, house call. But he, really, this this entire season for a young player like, like he is, he has shown that he is he is one to watch for the future and certainly can, can possibly – you know, Brennan Presley at times has, has kind of disappeared from this offense at times. He's making a case he might be wide receiver one next year. I think John Paul Richardson and Brennan Presley have something to say about that, Colby, but I, I could not be more impressed with the electricity he provides to the, the wide receiver core. Uh, yeah, no, that's a good one. That's And actually, I missed one on the defense. I, I made a mental note of it this morning, but you forget things. Lamont Bishop looks pretty good last night. You remember, Carson, first game of the season this year, I was sitting in the stadium, and I watched a guy run down on special teams wearing number 11, and I was like, that dude, and I gave him my uni Heisman. I threw you a total curveball. I looked it up on the roster. <laughs> I said, Lamont Bishop, uni Heisman. This dude fills out the uniform. I mean, that might be your starting inside linebacker now. He looked pretty good last night. He did look good. I don't I don't like the numbers that they use at OSU, like because 11 kind of looked like one digit. I don't like that. So that, that, that kind of hurts him for my, for your uni Heisman case, but no, he, he looked the part. And I, again, I, I think that shows you that like this, this excuse of injuries and like lack of depth, like that guy looks like he can play to me. Why? Like, where is this excuse of the injuries being the reason that they literally can't play dead and look like one of the worst teams in the entire country. So yeah, I'm, I'm with you there. What do you got for BBs? Uh, BBs Carson. I just, for a lot of things that transpired this season, I think that the responsibility falls at the feet of the head coach. Um, it was a tough, tough year, tough season for Oklahoma State football. Last year, Carson, was a ton of fun. Uh, we, we got to talk about all the best things. This year, not so much. We, we were having fun through that Texas game, and then the tide turned. It turned in a major way, and uh, Mike Gundy couldn't, couldn't seem to dial it in, couldn't seem to get it right, and uh, – you know, the performance that he put on last night, I was not a big fan of, obviously. It's just a lot of things went wrong. He's he's the guy at the top. He's making a bunch of money to put a better product out there uh, for the last five seasons since Mason Rudolph departed have been somewhat underwhelming. Last year was a lot of fun. Last year was also the outlier. So uh, Mike Gundy gets the BB for this season. Hopeful that he can turn it around. Uh, we'll see. We'll see what it looks like next year and moving forward. There are some questions that have to be answered, certainly on the offensive side of the football. Uh, it's his team. It's his scheme. It's his offense. He's told us that a million times. The offense doesn't change. Uh, so the responsibility has to fall at his feet whenever the offense goes through a stretch that we have not seen in a long time at Oklahoma State. So my BB goes to the head man, Mike Gundy. Oh, that's a good one. Um, I won't stray too far from Mike Gundy. I'll go to the guy who basically stands right behind him every single game, Robert Allen. Um, look, Colby, I I don't come after fellow media members. I just I don't think it's professional. I don't I don't like to do it. Um, but I think what he wrote is worth addressing on his website. He says even the headline's hard to read. It doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. If things have deteriorated. Media and fans are better, loyal, true, and classy. I don't even know what that means. But he goes on to basically say that Marshall's question was out of line, that, quote, Mike Gundy didn't deserve this, and that uh, the irony of all ironies that the, that the media don't need to act like fans. And this is where... I don't even really feel like I'm criticizing a member of the media. I mean, Robert's on the call, the, the, the actual Oklahoma State payroll. Um, he pretends he's in the media member, but he, he's an OSU staff member, essentially. He travels with the team. And for him to try to criticize 
the journalistic integrity of someone to me is the irony of all ironies. And look, I, I, I've had very few interactions with Robert Allen and that's by his design. That's just kind of how he is. You can go to my tweet about it. Uh, I quote tweeted Kyle Boone who, who tweeted out the story. Uh, there's a few stories in there in the comments. If you're interested to, to know kind of how he treats young reporters and fellow media members, just, just go click on that. I, I think I'll leave it at that. But I, I thought his quote unquote column was frankly embarrassing. And look, he, he can have that opinion just like I have mine. I'm not I'm not saying who's right or wrong. I'll let the I'll let the listener decide. But for someone who <laughs> literally caters to Mike Gundy and, and spews nothing but sunshine and rainbows to, to take the moral high ground on what should be asked at a press conference, to me, Colby, is flat out wrong. And frankly, it's it's kind of hilarious, uh, in my opinion. Uh yeah, that um you said that calmly, clearly, due to um, what I think is an inability of myself to do the same. I'm going to keep my thoughts to myself on, on this particular matter. That's good. Yeah, I, that's that's your prerogative. Um, I certainly understand that. And um, so, yeah, that's that's my BB. Any, any other BBs? We, I, I don't know where we should stop with BBs. This might go another hour. But um, turf. Give huh? it to the turf. The turf. Oh, that's yeah. It. What the hell was going on with the turf, Carson? We have not talked about this enough. What was that? I don't know. Like, <laughs> Jacob Under and those guys were, like, on the field tweeting pictures of it with, like, the the gaps in it, the patches in it. It just – I don't know. Like, part of me was, like, excited to see it in a baseball stadium. It's kind of a cool idea and certainly a cool environment. But it was literally a danger to the players and their safety. <laughs> that should never happen again. And it's like they, Colby, it, it looked like they almost put it down like five minutes before game time because I, I tuned into Dave Hunziker on the call and he was watching pregame warmups and said guys were just slipping all over the place. And so, yeah, that, that, uh, that definitely is worthy of a BB. Yeah, I just, I couldn't believe, even watching it on TV, just to the naked eye, it's like, what is with this surface? It seemed shaggy and weird. And um, yeah, the seams, I, it was, it was bad. It was dangerous. Guys shouldn't have to play on fields like that, but you know, you show up for a bowl game and that's what you have to do. They put you on that surface. You play on that surface. I'm glad. Uh, I know somebody went down. I think it was on the offensive line, maybe in the fourth quarter. So I hope he's not too terribly hurt, but it didn't seem like guys were dropping like flies last night, which was a good thing. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, let's get to Chris's university spirit uniform review. Colby touched on a little bit. Colby, what'd you think of uh, the uniforms? You know, they, they wore the black, orange, black with the uh, Patriot Pete logo on the helmet. I thought that was one of the few positives of the night. Uh, yeah, the Patriot Pete looked really good. The uniforms were sharp. Uh, Ollie obviously pulled it off. Ollie's my uni Heisman from last night. He was looking good. He had just the one black leg sleeve. Other leg was bare with the, the pants above the knee. He was looking sharp. Uh, but yeah, the orange with the black, that's classic Oklahoma State. And then the Patriot Pete on the side. Yeah, I thought it was a great look. I think... Kendall Daniels is the first unanimous uniform Heisman for me every single week since I created the term uni Heisman when I watched Justin Gilbert take the field back in 2011. Uh, that's that's where I'm at. I think Kendall Daniels looks like a creative player on NCAA on Xbox, and so he gets mine. Um, but it just – it dawned on me, Colby, when I saw pregame warm-up photos, like I've shared this memory many times, but when I was sitting through games in the old Rustoleum Lewis Field with my dad, but from the youngest time I can remember going to a game, the old Lewis Field press box had a white OSU helmet and a black one. And even young Carson at age, gosh, I could have been eight years old, probably, maybe less. I kept looking up at that press box being like, man, why don't they wear that black helmet? looks so much cooler than this white one that they wear every week in those white, orange, white uniforms. Like, black's a school color. They should wear more black. So last night, seeing those uniforms, it warmed my heart. It really did. Like, wow, they finally are wearing what six-year-old Carson was begging them to wear most of the time. You know, black and orange, that's the school colors. Wear it as often as you can. I'm cool with white, but give me the orange and black. And I thought they looked great. And the Patriot Pete logo has really grown on me. It really has. I, I, if, if they're going to do Pistol Pete on the helmet, 
give me that. I don't, I don't want just his head. I don't want the gargantuan Pete. I don't want little Bo Pete. None of those. Give me, give me Patriot Pete. Patriot Pete also looks best on the black helmets. I don't think it looks as good on the white or orange, but I think it looks really sharp on the black. That's true. I, I had that same thought. Like it, it does kind of, it doesn't quite pop as much. I, I'm with you on that. And I think the, the stripe that the equipment staff has continued to add really just, just makes the helmet better without, without it. It just looks a little more plain. I, I do. I did notice Colby. They got rid of the, uh, the old school captains, sheriff stars as they used to have. I, I tweeted out a picture of it. Justin Blackman, Brandon Whedon. I think it was the first year we saw that back in 2011 where the captaincy was more of like a sheriff's badge. Not the badge we've seen on the helmets, but just the star itself with a C in it. And they just they literally just use the C from Cowboys on the pants <laughs> onto the jersey, which I think it's cool they do that for the bowl game. But uh, I would have liked to have seen the, the Sheriff stars to keep going. But oh, well. Yeah, we're, we're nitpicking. The uniforms are good, but we can nitpick our favorites. Yeah, they're great. Uh, I guess I'll leave you with this, Colby. We'll wrap it up here. Um, how are you feeling about Oklahoma State in terms of the hierarchy of the Big 12? Obviously, there's reports now Oklahoma and Texas may leave in time for the 2024 season. But, man, you look at you look at the way TCU has recruited this year with a top 20 class. They seem to be capitalizing on the momentum from the college football playoff. Uh, UCF uh, was is getting really good players in recruiting. It's uh, – with the, with the results, what they've been combined with the recruiting, what it's been, Colby, there, there's just, and we'll have to wait and see on staff changes, but there's, there's more teams coming for OSU than, than when really we, we really anticipated coming into this season. No, there definitely are. This Big 12 is not, I mean, it's not there for the taking like we thought it was. The new Big 12, we thought maybe it's there for the taking for Oklahoma State. Not so much. And I think that the optimism has waned for a lot of people. You know, 2019 was eight and five. Uh, you rip off a seven and six this year. The, the COVID year was weird. I think it was like eight and three, maybe. But 2018 was a seven and six year. So, uh, I mean, you, you got the Fiesta Bowl year. COVID year was weird. And then other than that, you've got an eight win season, a couple of seven win seasons. Um, it, it's it feels like a middle-of-the-pack Big 12 team that once every five years will put it together and will pop, and that's kind of what it is. And for the foreseeable future, I think that is what it is. Uh, we can debate whether that's acceptable. We can debate, you know, who, who should be at the helm, you know, what, what constitutes growth, all that stuff. But if you're just telling me, take a realistic look at it and tell me what you see, I see a team that's going to be just another one of those teams in the middle of the Big 12. And then every four or five years, they'll pop. They'll get in the conference title game. Maybe they'll win it. Maybe they won't. And then they'll have a few years where they try to figure out how to get back to that level. Uh, that's kind of what I'm seeing right now. Yeah, I think that's fair. And, uh, man, it's – last year really <laughs> – it's crazy to think. You know, remember, Colby, me saying going into that Boise State game on the road, I pulled up Gundy's winning percentage for the last, I think it was three or four years. It was close to 60%. And I questioned where the program was going under Mike Gundy. And, and you know what, what happened? It, uh, he dunked on me with, with Jalen Warren and, and, and Devin Harper and, and Malcolm Rodriguez. And we all, we all know what, how that season played out. But I, I'm kind of back to where I was going into that Boise State game, wondering where this program is going under Mike Gundy. And look, he, OSU will not hire a better coach than Mike Gundy. That I'm convinced of. I just I wonder with what you just mentioned with the other programs coming into the Big 12, the way they're recruiting, the way Mike Gundy's recruiting, frankly. Uh, I, I just I wonder where this is going and, and if this is not the beginning of the end, but this is a major fork in the road moment that really was put off one year because this has been of a it's really been since Mason Rudolph as far as you know the lack of double digit wins. Uh, so that's that's kind of where I'm left at, Colby, is just kind of at a loss to kind of the mirage that, that turned out to be an amazing season last year versus really where, where this program's truly at, truly at top to bottom talent wise. And that's it's a scary place to be, but knowing Mike Gundy, every time you start to count this guy out, he, he comes back with a vengeance. And so that, that, that's likely what will happen, but I think it's fair to wonder. I really do. Yeah, no, you're most definitely right. Those, those questions are there right now, but they're, they're quiet. Those questions will get louder if things don't go well next year. Before we get out of here, Carson, Oklahoma State, Kansas, basketball, it's here. Conference season, Big 12 play, it's going to be a murderer's row in the Big 12. Any chance, any chance they go into Lawrence and uh, and do something special? 
Mike Boyden's played pretty well in Lawrence, even when he hasn't won. So I, I give him a chance. I don't say no chance, but no. I mean, what is there a line on that game? I was looking for a line. That's what the big ding was. I was trying to find. Uh, okay. <laughs> yeah, I was trying to find the point spread and I couldn't find it. So, uh, no, I do not have a line. That game is Saturday, one o'clock, CBS, big game. Yeah. And, you know, speaking of where programs are going, I think it's fair to question where Mike Boynton's program's going. And look, he's he's dealt with a lot with the NCAA. We all know that. Um, but you got to win basketball games. It's a it's a results based business. This is year six. This is not year two or three. Uh, and I'd be pretty hypocritical if I wasn't as critical of Mike Boynton as I have been of, of Mike Gundy at times. And I, and I own that. And um, I think it's hard to judge him based on what he's had to deal with. But I also think it's fair to criticize the late the late game meltdowns that we've seen really for the past six years. Not not every single game, but there's been a lot of notable ones to where it's become a trend. And so, yeah, I give him a shot because he always seems to coach him up well in, in the field house. But uh, I'd probably lay the points with Kansas, to be honest. Uh, yeah, I'd have to see a line on it. I'd, I don't know. It'll probably be somewhere in the 10 neighborhood, if I had to guess, 10 to 12, something like that uh, for that marquee game. I mean, getting the 1 o'clock CBS spot on New Year's Eve, that's nice. That'll lead into the college football playoffs. So if people are just hanging around waiting to watch, you can get some eyes on that game. So um, it, it is a big opportunity for an Oklahoma State team to do something against one of the best teams in the country. I do worry, Carson. Uh, they had a big opportunity at UConn, and just pretty much got drilled. Lost by 10, but it wasn't that close. UConn, uh, UConn's a really good team. A couple of big guys, uh, a couple of shooters. They're really good. Uh, so is Kansas. So I'm trying to look here. Uh, Oklahoma State will play three ranked opponents in the Big Ten before they play an unranked opponent. Number four, Kansas, number 24, West Virginia, and number six, Texas, uh, starting on Saturday. Those will all be played in a span of eight days. Sheesh. Well, good luck. <laughs> that uh, that doesn't sound like much fun for Mike Boynton and company, but we'll we'll see. Who knows? We'll we'll have to wait and see how the basketball season plays out, Colby. Uh, one last note. I didn't I should have mentioned this off the top. Thank you to those of you who are still listening. But this is episode number five hundred, Colby. Wow. Episode number 500. I know you weren't around for, for a lot of those, but I, I do appreciate you filling in now that Kyle Porter has moved on to greener pastures. But uh, it's been a real joy for me. I still get people that come up to me all the time that that tell me they listen, that that will never, ever get old. Uh, I just love that because, you know, Colby, you and I are sitting here kind of just giving our opinions on our, on our laptops sitting at home, and we don't know who listens. Uh, we get the numbers every now and then, but we really don't pay attention to them on a daily basis. But it's been a real joy to have this outlet, have people listen, have people follow. Uh, and, and again, I, this is my last thing I'll say, Colby. What I strive to do on this show, and I get a lot of flack for it. I tweeted about this last night. I, I get a lot of hate when it's me being negative about Oklahoma State. And I get very little hate when I'm positive. And it's almost as if people don't recognize the positive if they're, if they're affiliated with Oklahoma State. And that's just, I think that's kind of built into the fan base. Certain people do. I'm not trying to color the whole fan base here with, with a broad brush. But I think why you listen, if you choose to listen to this show, is that you know Colby and I are not going to sunshine pump. Not everything is going to be sunshine and rainbows when they're failing to score 20 points the last six games of the year. We're not going to pull up the recruiting rankings when they're ranked in the 50s and say, well, these guys are all going to be great. Like that's just, that's when people start tuning you out. And I hope that people know that when you and I are critical, we're judging it as objectively as we possibly can because you and I have done that for our careers. You don't have a career in media if you don't just live in Stillwater and stand behind my gun on the sideline if you have no objectivity. And I think people tune you out. So I appreciate all of you that listen. And look, am I perfect? No. Do I deserve criticism? Yes. <laughs> there are things I've gotten wrong a hundred times on this show over 500 episodes. That's just part of the gig. And I, and I accept that. But I just want to tell all of you that are listening, thank you for continuing to do so. This has been one of the great joys of my life, to be honest, to host this podcast for 500 episodes. It's something that I grew up with, OSU Sports. My dad gave me that love. And it's, it's been a real passion for me. Uh, so if you're, if you're one of those people sitting out there thinking, I'm, I'm hoping OSU loses, I, 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 I dare you to, to, uh, to go through all 500 episodes and, and, and count up the out, amount of hours I've spent talking about OSU. So I'll leave it at that, Colby. Uh, it's been great having you on, and uh, I'm just thankful for all you that continue to listen. 
Yeah, that was incredibly well said. Uh, Carson, whenever you asked me to join you on this podcast, uh, it was really perfect timing. Uh, the franchise was, was dealing with some stuff, some layoffs. I was one of those. And I was kind of looking for my footing, just, just somewhere to, to do something, you know? I just wanted to do something, cover sports in the state of Oklahoma. And you reached out to me, and I was like, yeah, sounds great. Sound, sounds like a blast. Uh, but I could not have begun to um, – realize how much I was going to enjoy this, how much it was going to mean to me. And it's, it's been a really special thing to be a part of. Like you said, we'll be out. Uh, people will come up and talk to us. I, I've gotten stopped in Murphy's. I always get stopped in the stadium. I was at the bank a couple of weeks ago. Uh, and there was a girl who was handling my withdrawal and the manager came over and took over for it. Cause he was a fan of the pod and wanted to say hi. And uh, I love that stuff. I really do. It's it, this podcast is uh, obviously very special to you. It's very special to me and uh, love being a part of it. So can't wait to do it again in 2023. Yeah, me too. Who knows what 2023 will look like uh, come football season, but we got a long ways to go for that. Uh, Colby, we'll uh, probably catch up with you next week and we'll have to, we'll see how Mike Boynton and company do at, uh, at Allen Fieldhouse. But uh, again, thanks for being with us all season. Thanks to the listeners out there for, for 500 episodes and, and sticking with us and, Colby, here's to here's to 500 more, man. Appreciate it. Absolutely. Everybody be safe again this weekend for New Year's. Thanks for listening. Uh, regardless of what 2023 brings, go Pokes.